Hello and welcome to Follow Me and Die. I'm your host, Larry Hamilton. And today, on Thursday Thoughts, some responses to my last episode on Mules in the Dungeon. I have a couple of call-ins from Gwithaint and Ray Otis. And a couple of comments from a G-plus posting on that article. So in the waning days of Google+, yes, I still post, and people still sometimes respond, faithful to the end. First up are call-ins. Two back-to-back from Gwithaint, and then two back-to-back from Ray Otis. I'll discuss each of them in turn. Hey, Larry, this is uh, Gwithaint from the uh, Ramblings of an Artist and Gamer uh, blog. I was just listening to your um, podcast about Mules in the Dungeon, and I recently had a similar situation with a player who happened to have a small golem with them. Um, It amounts to basically having a warforged in the party. But he, being made out of iron, he weighs 600 pounds plus armor. So there are a number of avenues of transportation that are limited. And despite that there are seven other people in the party who can do things like climb down ropes or ladders, he's refusing to do any of those things because he always wants to have the golem at the forefront. And he was upset that the hirelings didn't bring enough rope to be lowering it down places. Um... Sorry, ran out of time on that. It's Quithaint again. Uh, Just thinking, it's amazing what limitations characters will set for themselves in addition to ones you set for them. Um, The player in my example could have easily had the golem hold the rope while they lowered other people down to collect the pieces of treasure that they could actually see but were afraid to do. I mean, there were a couple of hirelings that volunteered to do it for extra money, but no interest, even though he has a pretty good idea what the treasure was and how much it would be worth. No dice. It's, I got, I'm used to characters breaking situations by coming up with new and innovative ways, but it's so funny to see one that's willing to block their own advancement. All right. Enjoy gaming. And that was Gwithaint, also known as Dennith McCarthy, who has a podcast, Ramblings of a Gamer and Artist. You can also find his blog at gwithainty.wordpress.com. I'll have both of those in the show notes. Thanks for calling in. I very much understand players becoming overly cautious. Perhaps something happened that in the player's mind, some threat really challenged the idea of the safety and longevity of the character. And I know I've fallen into that where suddenly I buy into the fear, and I guess that's the game master doing a good job, and don't want to take risks. And to a point, an adventurer playing smart measures and balances the risks. And your 
pit or whatever it was that the golem could have lowered someone down. They ran the risk of something happening, perhaps only a brief few moments of anticipation leading to nothing with a great reward. Or it could have been a horrible end to whoever went down that rope. Perhaps some other occurrence in that player's experience, whether you were the game master or someone else, convinced them it wasn't a good idea to do that. I know in the past, I've played with my brother, the game master, and he presented a situation that, the way I interpreted it, I didn't want to go anywhere near it, and so I didn't risk it. Yet at other times, I go all out and all in, and the dice are with me, and it's great success. So I don't know what would have happened had I pressed forward. I can kind of tell from the way my brother reacted that he was frustrated with me, because as the game master, he knew I was so close to success, and I backed away. Well, that's a difficult proposition when you're the player. You only operate with what you as the player of the character understand. And if you miss a clue or something isn't quite clear, but you've got a rock-solid interpretation in your mind, in my experience, I go with that. Um, so I can't fault a player for being careful. Now, on the other hand, I have been the game master and been a little frustrated by players not trying just a little bit. Uh, you know, I don't get too frustrated when they don't push the button that will cause the trouble, so to speak. It would be hilarious if they had done that. There have been other times when they've ignored all the clues and done things the hard way and death and destruction follow we can only do so much as a game master and the best we can do is have clear and accurate descriptions and hope that is enough i'm not sure what the solution would be to that other than if the player rules that their character is not going to take the risk that's on them you could have some other random party of adventurers come in and be wearing that treasure that he could see at the bottom of the pit. And I hear that annoying train in the background that I'm not going to re-record this segment, but I will stop here so it doesn't get louder. Hey Larry, this is Ray Otis. I enjoyed your episode on Mules in the Dungeon, and it made me think of an NPC that would be really cool. Cyrus Maccabee. He's a retired adventurer, probably a fighter or a cleric. I'm picturing kind of a buff dude, uh, but in his 60s, you know, still got that um, rough and tough vibe, but has settled down, wears homespun clothes, tight fitting stuff, maybe a stocking cap or something. And he's got this mule that he wants to sell. He's down on his luck and he needs some money, but he's really attached to this mule because uh, unknown to the NPCs, this mule is a dungeon survivor. Now, whether Maccabee uh, offers that information or not, it's up to you, but he offers the mule for sale at kind of a high price for a mule but uh, assures them that it's the best mule that ever was, right? So they have to, uh, he won't just sell the mule to anybody. If they do something that uh, doesn't impress him or makes him leery, he won't. 
Oops, got cut off there. He won't sell the mule to just anybody. Um, even better, maybe the characters impress him and they buy the mule and then they do something stupid while they're in town. Uh, and Cyrus will try to buy the mule back from them at even more than they paid for it if he can. Um, and if they refuse to sell it back to him, he might even try to steal it back because he doesn't want the mule to go into the dungeon with a bunch of fools. If they do comport themselves well and take the mule into the dungeon, then the mule is a cool asset. It not only carries their treasure, but it can sniff out danger. It's a real survivor. So um, the mule itself is also an NPC. Anyway, thanks for the episode and thanks for the uh, inspiring the idea. I hope it's something that you use. If you do, tell me about it. Later. And that was Ray Otis of the Plundergrounds blog and podcast. Ray, that's a very interesting idea. I do little creative things with NPCs in my game to make them memorable. Have some, even if it's just a one-shot NPC to add a little spice to it. Sometimes my plan for a one-shot NPC, they can end up being a central character to the story somehow it's amazing how players latch on to things and i like your idea i can even see the uh grizzled former adventurer hiring on as an npc with his mule uh maybe rescuing the player's bacon a few times maybe venturing into the dungeon with them or maybe standing watch with his mule at the entrance to the dungeon. And if he's a grizzled old adventurer, maybe he's smart enough and tough enough that they come out and whatever he encountered, he's kept the loot for himself of what he fought off while protecting their gear. That could be interesting. And... I played in a regular Dungeon Crawl Classics campaign here in Kalamazoo for a while. And one adventure we were on, my character had a mule. And the mule could talk to my character. And of course, my character was the only one that could hear it. And sometimes the things the mule said via the Game Master were helpful. I don't remember a time when they weren't. But moments like that can be quite hilarious. Reminds me of the Francis movies with Donald O'Connor back in the late 40s and 50s. I enjoyed those in reruns on TV when I was a kid. I like the people call in and have these reactions to some of my stories sometimes. I really appreciate you calling in. Next up, I have a couple things I want to read when I posted Tuesday's episode on G+. I had a couple of responses. First up was from John Solway. And I quote, Ah, the good old days, ironic laugh at silly old grog. Recently, I've been looking at the illustrations that were made for the very first dungeon crawl games. What struck me was the size of the corridors they drew. You could ride three ponies, 
walk three donkey line abreast down them. And I agree, a lot of those old maps had huge corridors that you could march an army in column down some of those corridors that were long and straight. And in reply to John's comment, Ian Borchart says, One nice thing about making Minecraft dungeons to scale is that it really makes an impression on how small a 10-foot wide corridor is for a crowd with weapons, even without anything in it. Virtual movement through them is wonderful for getting a sense of the place that you just don't get from static overhead maps. And I would definitely agree with that. Most rooms in the average size home aren't much bigger than 10 foot wide. Measure 10 feet and see how much you can fit in there. I know that we had rules that you couldn't get more than three abreast for fighting in a corridor and then uh, trying to cram more in there. Of course, they all have 10-foot ceilings. Why wouldn't they have a 10-foot ceiling? If you've looked at the Egyptian tombs, those were seldom more than five or six feet wide and maybe that much high. So I guess it all depends on what level of realism you want to infiltrate your game. I really appreciate all the call-ins. I appreciate all the comments on all my episodes, wherever I mention them online. The interaction really helps me keep going. And while I'm talking about it, I don't emphasize it much. It is in my famous in-blurb that I've had a few people give me ribbings about. But I do have a Patreon. And I achieved three patrons, and my very first patron has decided to leave. And it's nothing against me. They were hoping to help jumpstart my Patreon and hoped it would take off more, which it hasn't. I hoped it would grow a little bit more than it has. I guess I'm not the best at enticing people with my Patreon. I tried to do things and make it interesting. Um, So I would invite you, if you like what I do, to support me on Patreon because I don't want to monetize Anchor. I want the things I put out there to be available. The only thing that I'm going to monetize is some of my PDFs I will have a flat fee for instead of all of them being pay what you want. And All patrons get all my PDFs that I put out on a monthly basis. And I would encourage you, if you like my stuff, to chip in a buck on my Patreon. And I know some of us, like me, support several different patrons. And we have a limit on our budget. I get that. And I really appreciate my very first patron, who's also the first to leave, to fill out the little survey at the end about why he left. And that's the kind of interaction I really appreciate. 
open and honest and encouraging. If you have any suggestions about what I could do to improve how I describe my Patreon, I'd love to hear it. And if there's anything you'd like to hear me talk about on the podcast or any PDFs you'd like me to work on, please let me know. I've got lots of ideas and several things in the works, and I want to do things that help you with your game. And here's another awesome train. Isn't it great living close to the tracks? Well, that's not as big and loud as that last train that came through. I put up with so dang many of those things. I also work from home, so I could hear it all day long, and my customers are asking me, are you standing on the tracks? And no, I just live across the street from the person that lives next to the tracks. So this has been another exciting episode of Follow Me and Die. Thank you all very much for listening. I hope you're having an awesome day, and game on. And here's the end blurb. You can find Follow Me and Die at my blog, followmeanddie.com, here on Anchor and the many other places where my podcast is syndicated, Follow Me and Die on YouTube, and you can find me on various sites where you see my social media avatar by the amazing Satine Phoenix. I have a social page on my blog that directs to all my various social media. To get more of my thoughts and opinions in the realm of role-playing games and other games, check out my other sites. I also contribute to Multiverse.World by the new TSR. If you like the podcast and the other things I share online, there are a few ways you can support my efforts. First, tell me and tell others. Just getting out the word is important. Consider backing my Patreon. Patrons get a vote on my next PDF, published on DriveThruRPG. Please check out my RPG-related PDFs. I'm working on a card game that I hope to kickstart in the first quarter of 2020. You can find the sign-up for the announcement mailing list on my blog. I also have a Teespring store where you can get a shirt with my logo, the same one by Satine Phoenix. Thanks for listening, and game on! <laughs>